This episode of History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast, is brought to you by Frame Nation. Frame Nation is your one-stop. Go on down there, talk to them about any kind of framing display needs you may have. Frame Nation has a fantastic selection. They have a fantastic staff that is incredibly helpful, incredibly excited um, to really get you exactly what you need. Find you the the display method that will uh, complement your picture, diploma, whatever it is, um, you know, without overshadowing it. You know, get you something that's actually going to complement it, and you know, get something to your style. Whether it's very traditional, uh, whether it's something a little funkier, a little quirky, uh, maybe you're looking for a museum quality, or you know, something that's going to be a little bit more affordable. Uh, Frame Nation's got what you need. Uh, you can find out more information at FrameNation.net. Also, check them out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, Pinterest, um, you know, check them out. Frame Nations right down in the uh, the heart of the Shaco Design District. They're at 11 South 15th Street. Definitely well worth your time. You know, follow them. Do what you need to do. Check them out. I do. Frame Nation. This is History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Jeff Major. Hope you're having a fantastic day. On the show, I have Leslie Naranjo. She's the Director of Preservation Services at Historic Richmond, formerly known as Historic Richmond Foundation. They just go on Historic Richmond now, but it's still you know, the same incredible organization that advocates for, you know, Richmond's history, uh, but not just its past, you know, its future as well, and how to reincorporate a lot of the the cultural uh, icons that we have here in the city and and rework them. Uh, But the, you know, old city hall, they saved that, uh, the Stuart Lee building on down on Franklin Street, uh, the National Theater, uh, Linden Row, and and the subject of this conversation, which is actually Monumental Church. Uh, But they're not just out saving buildings, you know, they're, Really, really amazing events as well, like uh, March uh, March 27th, Thursday, at uh, St. Stephen's Episcopal Church at 6000 Grove Avenue from 6 to 8. Uh, they'll be having a, a conversation with um, John Moiser, a, a senior fellow at UR's Bonner Center for Civic Engagement, and Andrew Moore, who's a principal and, a, and the director of Urban Architect at Glave Homes Architecture. And they'll be talking about um, a pretty, you know, fascinating topic, the the, the interstate system, uh, and, you know, and how it changed Richmond, um, especially, you know, destroying traditionally black neighborhoods, um, contributing to the, the sprawl and, you know, really fragmenting downtown. Um, the interstate had a, a huge impact on the on the country and and RVA in particular. Um, but they also have some, you know, more lighthearted events um, like the, the the next the Coits Club. That they do, and the next Coits Club meeting is at the Laburnum House, uh, which was completed in 1908 uh, for newspaperman Joseph Bryan, um, and that's March 20th from six to eight. That's you know more mixing, mingling, uh, food, drinks, and you get to learn a little bit about a, a historic house. The building that I talked to Leslie about though is Monumental Church. It is a wonderful, groundbreaking Greek Revival building at 1224 East Broad Street. Uh, kind of 12th and College Street, um, right there on Broad, kind of smack dab between MCV and a lot of the state offices. Uh, it was built as, as an Episcopal church, 
It was completed in 1814 to replace the Richmond Theater, which burned in 1811, killing um, at least 72 people. And the theater is actually why Edgar Allan Poe is in Richmond. His mom was performing at the theater. Uh, so when it burned, it was it was a huge event throughout the entire city. And the the leader of the fundraising effort to, to build the church, uh, which actually becomes a monument to the 72 people, um, it, because their their remains are actually built into the base of the church. Um, but that that fundraising effort was led by John Marshall, and you know I started this podcast. Uh, I wanted to make sure that it was you know, Richmond history podcast and not a Civil War podcast. But now I'm having a problem, which is a really good problem, of it becoming a John Marshall podcast. He's a fascinating guy, but um, you know he leads the fundraising effort to get Monumental Church built. Last episode was uh, Shaco Hill Cemetery, which is where John Marshall was built, uh, buried. And the episode before that was about John Marshall and uh, his whole life um, and his house here in Richmond. So I'm not really trying to fix it, but, you know, keep that in mind. And, if, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if this is the first time you've ever heard the podcast, um, just give you an idea of, of what it is. It's half hour to hour conversations with experts on RVA history, including you know, authors, historians, and really just Richmonders that, you know, have a good story to tell and comes out on the first and the 15th of every month. You can you know, follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, if you're listening to it where you are right now and um, go ahead and subscribe and yeah, and, and you can actually support the podcast if you like it simply by just telling friends about it. You can write a review on on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to it. Um, you can also go to historyreplacetoday.org. You can click the support button and donate to the podcast. Every penny helps. I'm not asking for millions. You know, a couple dollars thrown in is not going to hurt anybody. You can also become a sponsor of the podcast, like Frame Nation uh, or River City Segs, which you can find out more information about that by uh, emailing me, uh, Jeff Major, J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R, at historyreplaystoday.org. Um, and speaking of that, uh, River City Segs, the premier Segway tour company in Richmond, uh, the only Segway tour company in Virginia with an indoor Segway training area, and it's the only Segway-specific training area in Virginia as well. Uh, March, doing uh, Women in RVA History. It's a special tour with a special discount for March. If you mention the 19th Amendment, you'll get $19 off that tour. Uh, also, coming up very, very soon, it's going to be the Easter Seg Hunt. Uh, I'll have more information coming up on that. But you can find out more information about River City Segs and um, all kinds of stuff about it just you know, by RiverCitySegs.com. Check it out on you know, Facebook, Twitter, at 804Segs, uh, Instagram, Pinterest, before we get to my conversation with Leslie Naranjo uh, about Monumental Church, if you want to see some pictures of the church, you can go to historyreplaystoday.org. You'll find some pictures there. You know, If you don't want to see pictures, if you want to actually go see the church, you can find out information about setting an appointment to go, go check it out uh, at uh, historicrichmond.com. So I sat down with Leslie at, in the offices of Historic Richmond. Uh, we sat up in the boardroom. We had an excellent conversation. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do as well. And uh, it does somewhat sound like we're outside. Uh, sounds like almost like you can hear the crashing of waves in the background. Uh, but it was actually raining that day. And we were right on Main Street, so you could actually hear the cars going by through the rain. 
Um, hope it's not too distracting. Um, but I'd start out asking Leslie, uh, when did uh, Historic Richmond get involved with Monumental Church? Prior to us, Monumental Church was a church until 1965. Right. And the church congregation had become so small, and there were a number of problems with the huge building. There was less than 30 individuals in the congregation. So in 1965, the building was deconsecrated, and it was the MCV Foundation, the Medical College of Virginia Foundation, which is adjacent to it mm -hmm. on the west uh, east side, mm -hmm. that acquired the building. But it wasn't until 1975 that they decided to do a full-blown restoration. Okay. And so they began a restoration in 1975, and Robert Winthrop was the architect who was hired with um, uh, um, with his firm to do to return the building to its 1814 appearance, which was uh, is the date that, of the conclusion of construction. Mm -hmm. 1814. It began in 1812. Right. And then we came uh, came in in 1983. Okay. They conveyed the building. To, um, they decided they you no know, they wanted didn't want to use the building at the time, and so they thought it was more appropriate to convey the building to the Historic Richmond Foundation at the time. And, it was in, and so since 1983, we have been the stewards of the building. Uh, so it had stopped being used as, as a church in 1965. Right. The, it seems kind of uh, like somewhat romantic and sad at the same time to imagine 30 people in there. Right. Like, and, and many, you know, the, con the the Episcopal Church had grown, and some of the the churches that um, that took over of the the Episcopal congregations were, of course, St. Paul's and St. James. So they grew out of the um, the the church at Monumental Church. Right. The um, congregation at Monumental. Yeah, that's weird. Well, why would people not go there? People just not live there. I mean, that's right. Exactly. Okay. I mean, when when that was established, Court Inn in the 1780s through the early 1800s was an affluent place for many people to live, and it was uh, you know it was a booming area for federal design. You know, uh, uh, so by the time Monumental Church was built, um, that was the precursor of Greek Revival architecture. Greek Revival architecture didn't take a foothold in the American um, um, landscape until much later, but this was a groundbreaking building for its time. It was a very, very early example, and, and it's, it is considered one of the finest examples of Greek Revival architecture in the nation. Sure. And so I guess we start at the end there, so we can kind of get right. back to that. <laughs> we'll yeah. get back but, to that. Um, the, so, and I guess that's because. Uh, um, the neighborhood itself is, um, like you said, that you know the First Baptist Church is over there. John, uh, um, it has John Marshall. a number of churches. Um, a yeah. number of prominent residents lived in the in that in the Court End area. In the Capitol the as well. The Capitol and the um, you know the Morrison's Row and so I mean Morrison's Row now, which is adjacent to the Capitol, mm -hmm. which is east of the Capitol. Those were you know. Um, uh, affluent individuals lived in, in that area, so it was it was populated with you know the upper crust more or less mm -hmm. of Richmond society at the time. And it's a theater that um, yes, yeah, it's a theater. The theater was it's actually important. The site is important. Actually, in 1788, it was the site of the ratification of the Constitution oh, uh, on, on that very site. Huh. So that um, so that's 
that area of the city was extremely important. And the right. meetings there occurred for more than a month to ratify, almost a month, to ratify the Constitution. That That's had. interesting because there's a plaque. There's a weird plaque that I don't think anyone's ever seen, even the people that walk through the door on around the side on one of those buildings. It's like on the next block over. It's like between two doors on the MCV building that says that was the spot. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's, it's that it's like area. Weird, yeah, it's yeah, that it's area. Like, and it, that area was also called, um, the whole block was called Theater Block. Okay. That was a reference to it. And, um, and uh, the theater that was there was the Brick Theater that was there, which was at least three stories tall. Okay. was not built until 1811. Oh, all right. And excuse me, 1810. Mm-hmm. It burned 1811 in, uh, on December 26th, which was Boxing Day. Uh, a, a theater performance, uh, which was to occur a few days earlier. Mm-hmm. That performance, which was a benefit, had been postponed until Boxing Day. It was a very popular place to go. There were other theaters in the area. Um, and uh, But it was postponed because of the death of Eliza Poe, who was at a ground in Poe's mother who had who was a well-known performer in the theater mm-hmm. and that was why the performance was on Boxing Day in fact. Wow. So um, the theater had had at that time almost 600 people viewing the performance wow. and it was a benefit and um, uh, because of uh, uh, the curtains and um, a pulley was not working in which they we're lowering the lighting, the chandelier lighting down for a part of a performance. Caught the theater drapes on fire. A lot of pe- when people shouted fire, a lot of people thought it was what we would consider today special effects. Right. So there was so people did not uh, realize immediately that the theater was catching on fire, and the fire was so consumptive that most of the block burned. It wasn't just that theater, but that was the most famous because of the number of people who died. And luckily, it was only, well, 72 victims are are known, but I believe there were actually 76 victims. It's just that 72 victims are memorialized there. Okay. And it's their ashes that are interred in a crypt um, on the site. So wait, so there, I'm sorry, so there's more? More Well, it's believed that there were 72 deaths. Okay. But, uh, <clears throat> of course, they couldn't determine, you know, the ashes of it's just the ashes of the individuals, and right. at the site <clears throat> were um, put into actually it's two um, mahogany coffin type boxes that mm-hmm. are in uh, a brick uh, covered uh, crypt, which is in the basement of Monumental Church, but that was established early on. And it was through um, city, through uh, a committee of the city, in which John Marshall was head of, that decided that indeed a church should be built on the site. And right. it was by city ordinance that it was decided that it would be that site. Okay. And and, it, and this by ordinance, the city also contributed around five thousand dollars for the erection of a monumental church. Okay. So the city is actually organizing the. <laughs> The city, by ordinance, established the siting of it. But it was John Marshall who took the the job, more or less, of raising the funds to build the church on that site. Okay. And it was decided by committee. 
um, who would build the church or who would design the church. And was there, um, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, he was, the governor was killed in The there, governor, uh, yes. Who, uh, I mean, would, was, was his other friends? I mean, yeah, would have been... There were, there were several prominent um, individuals that died in the fire. He's probably the most prominent, and he had just become governor, sworn in about 31 days before right. the fire. So he uh, was one of many who were very prominent people who were at the um, performance he died. The, uh, it's, it's a really, uh, this is one of the super most randomest uh, things that I guess we've had three non-consecutive governors elected, mm -hmm. um, both because the one that dies there is William mm -hmm. Smith. Mm -hmm. um, so the other one, there's another one that's another William Smith, mm -hmm. who's the one in the Civil War. So mm -hmm. neither one of them finished there. So we've only had one person to go through all to, uh, but the, the fact that there's three and two of them are named William Smith, it, right. it always like <laughs> makes no sense and no relevance to anyone. Bad but, luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't get elected governor if you're named William Smith. Um, but the, uh, I mean, are, why is he personally so effective? I mean, I guess is that. I guess that's my John Marsh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know it's near his house. It, it was. Like, it was near his home, and. Um, uh, you know, it, it was a place that he and many, if they hadn't, many people of the community often attended performances there. And that was, when this happened, um, you have to realize that the population of the city of Richmond was less than 10,000 people. It was 9,000 plus. Right. Um, but it affected the community and the, the young U United States. Um, mm -hmm. Dramatically, in effect, it, I mean, it was so well known and heard about that it would be akin to what our 9/11 was today. Okay. So you have to. So the impact on the community was great. The city went into mourning for an extended period of time, in which you know you couldn't do anything. I mean, you wore mourning attire. Right. You were fined if you weren't in mourning. Really. Right. So um, it, it was a dramatic event, not just for the city, but for the young country. It was that. It was well publicized in uh, newspaper accounts. Uh, it, it, there were the people within the community of Richmond, um, new people who had, you know, either attended their uh, performances often or had died in the fire. So they knew or knew someone who had been affected. Right. So it was that important a thing. So, and he was a prominent um, individual. Sure. Um, so, um, the idea that it should be a memorial, both a memorial, um, you know, with the internment of the, um, the the crypt, and a living site, that it should be a place where people would continue to worship, is it should serve, uh, serve dual purposes. Right. With, um, was something that was discussed by committee. And it was the committee that commissioned um, uh, Robert Mills, mm -hmm. uh, who was the architect, and he was the first American-born architect. Right. Um, he was the only pupil of Thomas Jefferson, mm -hmm. and um, he worked with Benjamin Henry Latrobe, mm -hmm. who was also doing designs in, in the city of Washington, the young city and young capital there. And he came from, um, he was originally from Charleston, South Carolina. And um, he was born in the early 1800s, so he was very, he was a very young architect mm -hmm. when he designed this. And later on, he becomes well known for his fire 
thwarting construction in oh, Charleston. Really? Yes. Wow. So this is one of the earliest tasks is, is to, to design a building that is in memory of these individuals who died but can be used as a monument to them. And then um, we attribute today um, something that he actually writes uh, and names it the Monumental Church. Okay. So, so that's where we come with the, uh, the name of it as the Monumental Church. He refers to it that way early on in his designs. Right. And, the, um, and I guess because they have, because it's a competition right. when it is open, right? So right. And he actually beats out Thomas Jefferson. It does it? Yes. Okay. So I was uh, say. He, he's his student, and, and there are several people who submit designs. And he Now, of course, he, not all of his design was used. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's most well known for his design of the Washington Monument, which was not built until 1848. Right. So this is some of his very earliest work. And his work is groundbreaking for the time because this neighborhood is all federal design architecture. Right. And he designs what becomes one of the most outstanding Greek revival buildings in America. Mm-hmm. So um, he employs um, design uh, elements, structural elements that are unique and unusual. The octagon, mm-hmm. uh, the auditorium is the shape of the octagon. And he employs the use of the Delorme dome, which is a very low saucer-shaped dome. Instead of a high dome, it's a low dome. And it is it is a cheaper way to construct a dome in which you can span great spans. Okay. And it also allows for a lot more light to come into the building. So when you walk into the building, it is flooded with light from the dome and from the light of the, the upper part of the dome, people call the cupola, it's the, actually the lantern on the top of the dome. Yeah, which, and what, is, which what does that mean? Because I've read that a couple of times, the lantern. I mean, there's not an actual... Well the, lan- well, the lantern is actually the cupola, which you okay. might refer to as the cupola. Okay. There's not like a light. There's not, no, okay. no, but it's the glass in that area. That, that's why you pl- refer to it okay. as a lantern, because it lights the inside so of the, the dome sun with natural the, lighting. Okay, yeah. It's the natural lighting that floods the space mm-hmm. in there. And also the acoustics are, are extreme. It was um, to be, it was very important in the Episcopal Church, but at the time, you know, preaching was highly important. And so it has a monument, it has monumental columns um, at the altar where the preacher would stand. Mm-hmm. And so the acoustics for the preacher are, are highly significant yeah. as well. But his, those were groundbreaking design features, structurally. Um, but also he employed um, some of the first uses of Egyptian motifs in, in design in America. Yeah. And so those are throughout the building, the, mm-hmm. the columns on the exterior, and then as you walk into the interior around the the, uh, the motifs that are on the altar and the columns on the altar and on the columns that surround and support the balcony in the um, octagonal auditorium. And he designed um, at least four other buildings that had this octagon space with the Delorme saucer-shaped dome over it. Mm-hmm. And this is the only one that survives. Oh, wow. Right. One of them was a building in, I believe it was in Philadelphia. Uh, it was known, which was called the Octagon Building, which was the first Unitarian church there. But none of those buildings survived. This is also the most elaborate of all the buildings that mm-hmm. he designed. So. And there's the, the, 
Jefferson Springs. Oh, I can't remember what that name of that house is. The one Jefferson designed a house that's like his second house. Oh, you're speaking of um, Papa Force? Papa Force, right. Okay. I mean, it's in the area, I guess, now it's called Jefferson Springs, but that's also an octagon. Yes, right? it is. And so, um, you know, as Jefferson's student, Jefferson was very fond of the octagon. Sure. Yes, and he was, and both Jefferson and Latrobe were proponents of the Delorme Dome, which was named after the designer Delorme, who was a French designer at the time. Mm-hmm. So its employment was this was highly unusual. This was groundbreaking architecture. And it did influence, obviously, the Egyptian motifs, influenced the Egyptian building later on. Mm-hmm. But um, the use of that type of space was um, didn't influence just Court Inn, but monumental buildings in young America in the Greek Revival sure. at the time. So. Um, and, it, and it also has, which I actually, until kind of looking at some of the pictures and then reading a little bit, there's also a tower in the back. Is yes, that, that was never tower? built. Which was never, it was never built. built. Okay, because that's what I was, I was thinking. I was like, where? But there is some sort of structure that's a solid, right? Because there's no windows on the back, right? Because of the, it's the octagon, but that's there, 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 there are windows. There are okay. windows on, on the back. But <clears throat> there's a solid structure on the back of what, of, of what we call the back which is on the north side, mm-hmm. that is attached to the auditorium part, which is the octagon. And then you have the portico in the front, mm-hmm. the porch, portico in the front, and then the portico on the east and west sides. Right. So. And the, um, the, all the bodies are also buried in the basement. Yeah, well, um, it's, you have to realize it's the remains, the ashes, right. which would have been the ashes of the building as well. And they're in a crypt in the basement. Mm-hmm. And the reason we know, because we did have laser technology that established that there are two mahogany, I guess we would call them today, caskets, but mm-hmm. that were constructed which hold the remains. And it's a very simple brick covering. Right. It's not meant to be visited or seen by the public, but it was meant to be uh, part of the church. Um, and, and there are several churches that were built of the day and in Europe in which um, there's a crypt mm-hmm. in the basement of the church. So it was, that was common at the time, although it wasn't employed in a lot of other designs that we see now. Right. Essentially because it, it is very, I mean, dirt floors. It's still a dirt floor. Right. And, yes. Um, and I remember when I first, because I went down, I've only been down there once, I was about to say first, like I go down there all the time. But um, <laughs> the, one of the things I thought about is that... Um, it almost seems like they were wanting to bury other people. Like, I, I don't know, I just thought of that. Like, if they have these folks buried there, the dirt floors, maybe they could have more burials well, or no, something. No, it was so common like, for buildings to have dirt Really? Dirt okay. Floors. Yes. No, it wasn't meant for a place for other people to be interred. And really, part of the design of the building was the monument, which is under the portico mm-hmm. in the front uh, on the uh, uh, south side of the church. That sure. That was... An instrumental element in the design, which is a small duplicate of a sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the Egyptian motifs. And the Egyptian motifs were employed because of their references to death and afterlife. Right. And so um, you have the sarcophagus, and on the sarcophagus, the um, marble sarcophagus, you have the victims' names carved on all four sides. Mm-hmm. So the men who were the the white men, who were the um, 
victims are on the front and then around the sides and beneath those on the sides and the back are the women and slaves who perished uh, who were known to identify. And on top of that is the urn. And um, the urn, which is extremely important in both in Greek, Roman, and um, Egyptian um, architecture, has the flying orb, and that represents life after death. Okay. Uh, but there are s- numerous symbols on that entire um, sarcophagus and the urn and, and within that area that are references to um, death, but to life after death. Right. Light extinguished early, for example, the upside down torches, and um, so it's he used that to memorialize them. So mm-hmm. the crypt wasn't a design element; it was uh, it was simply a memorial place. Right. Um, but it was the memorial on the outside under the portico that was meant to be a, the public reference to right. the site. But that's still a conceptual idea that that they are there. Yes. Right. It's not just. Right. It's not just a thing. Um, I think it's really interesting that even when uh, I mean, when everyone's burned and charred, that there's still that racial, you know, the skin tone, skin color can be burned off, but then you know, there's still that ranking mm-hmm. when they're marking their names, right? I mean, it, yes, and you're right in the designation of where their names are on the monument. It, but of course, we, everyone is interred because it could right. have been no other way. All together, and are they ranked also within, you know, with the governor? I mean, is he top or is it yeah, alphabetical it order? On the first, it's not alphabetical. Okay, so it's like a. I'm not sure who to, decided the, um, you know, order of listing, right. except that the men are on the, the face, mm-hmm. and then the secondary individuals, sure. which were the women and slaves, right, were were on the other side. Sure. Huh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. It, 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 yeah. It, yeah. Um, so the, uh, but I guess even uh, beyond the building, is there Episcopal churches already in in the city, or is there? Yes. Is, I mean, uh-huh. I guess it's John yes, Marshall Episcopal. Is, the, uh, yes. Uh, okay. So so there there are many churches throughout the city, and in fact, and in fact, in this yeah. area, there were many other churches. Okay. You know, it was actually courting was really known for its churches, and I don't mean just mean Episcopal churches, but many churches. Okay. But yes, there are in the city. But this, you know, this was a the major Episcopal church for the city. Right. Okay. And, and a lot of it's financed by um, you know fundraising, but also you know, they bought um, pews. pews, right? Right. And that was um, it was John Marshall um, who um, he actually bought his. His, he was one of the first purchasers of pews. His was not the most expensive in fact. <laughs> but that's how they raised funds, as well as other contributions, such as the, the contribution from the city. Mm-hmm. But that was the major way to um, raise funds, was the selling of pews. Sure. And then, uh, uh, the, um, then later on, you rented your pews, so that was constant okay. income for, for the church. Hmm. And, and John Allen at Grandland Pose yes. adopted... Um, Dr. Father's yes, going to be pew, in there. His pew is, is marked in there, and as is um, John Marshall's, which is the second pew from the front. Right, and so are they? Um, I'm assuming Poe is going to. I mean, they attend church a lot there. Poe, um, there were several significant individuals who attended church there at some 
some time, mm-hmm. either as guest or regularly. But Edgar Allan Poe was a prominent individual. The Marquis de Lafayette visited right. there and attended. Um, it was attended by all of Virginia's governors regularly, with the exception of, I believe, two until 1846. Wow. So it was um, uh, a um, iconic and well established um, church for mm-hmm. attendance. And is, have you, I don't know if you've even looked into like what, uh, I've, got, I've kind of got this weird fascination with when um, Lafayette came through. It just seems like this is enormous, I don't know. Um, everywhere he went, it just seems like this crazy party. Exactly. It just was insane. Like, so, I don't know. They, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping I can, well, maybe someday someone will do enough research that I can have an episode on that. But it's he also very has special. an incredibly interesting wife. So yeah. <laughs> do research on her as right. well. Right, and they both just, I mean, it's, it's a, yeah. The whole family and everything is, is, an, is an insane right. thing. But um, um, the... Uh, the so the and it's also so all those fancy folks that can afford pews are down and and is that an expensive thing as well? Well, uh, for example, I believe it was over like three hundred ninety-four dollars or something like that at the time, which was very expensive. Is what John Marshall paid. Okay. There were others that paid over four hundred dollars for their right. pews at the time, so that was substantial. Right, and um, and it's by. Uh, been a lot of John Marshall on the podcast just recently, so right. um, <laughs> um, but he definitely doesn't seem like a very uh, you know he's not a flashy guy, anyways, right? I mean, he's going to want to just a very yeah, but he was he was instrumental mm-hmm. really in the coming about of Monumental Church and um, and in commissioning um, the design as well. Sure, yeah. um, and the is the church integrated? At all, or is that at the time? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming there are no guys no, are sitting at the bottom, no, but I mean, no, are there? The, the balcony was where slaves sat, and off, you off have to realize slaves came with their masters to mm-hmm. want, you know, or brought them. So, the balcony is where they would be really right. Located. Um, and the I guess we didn't even like really the you know, so probably never got fully integrated, right? Because 65, right. um, this one is going to shut down, mm-hmm. um, but the Gilbert Hunt is going to be yes. there during the actual fire. Uh, right. Well, there are, there are actually two really famous individuals who became folk heroes at the time. Um, a Dr. McCall, who attended the performance, and then Gilbert Hunt, who was a slave. He had not attended the performance, but he heard the fire bells ring, and his um, it was actually the daughter of his owner had, was attending the performance. Mm-hmm. She ended up perishing. But it was through Dr. McCall and Gilbert Hunt's help. McCall lowered people from the second story down to Gilbert Hunt, who was able to save them from the fire. And it's amazing that out of nearly 600 people who attended, only 72 or so perished. Right. Um, but he saved a number of people. And later on, he was able to buy his, um, buy his way out of slavery. But he was he was considered a folk hero at the time. He was not given his freedom because right. of this though. That came later on. Right, and that was an early legend though. I remember and then a lot of the old accounts actually mm-hmm. say that he was given his freedom. Uh, but I guess it's not that long ago. I think it's in Wikipedia too. Is it really? <laughs> but mm-hmm. he, he acquired his he purchased his freedom later. Yeah. Um, at some stuff uh, from what I understand it's a discounted a discounted mm-hmm. rate mm-hmm. because of his his heroism. Yeah. Uh, that's um, 
the uh, and, and the fire itself is is there truth to the fact that the doors opened in? Yes. Is that, uh, yeah. Okay. The, the, the doors did not open out. Mm-hmm. Um, there are of course, of course no building code um, uh, features. You know, so it and it was it had three balconies. The, mm-hmm. uh, it was a brick building with three balconies. Everything of course was candle lit um, or with whale oil. So everything was you know. And the oils in the building and the scenery and such it was a highly flammable, right. you know, spot. So um, just the ability to be able to get out quickly was hampered because of the design of the building, and um, be, um, because of um, the, the dress, for example, of the individuals, the women, for example, it was more difficult for them to uh, retreat from the building. A lot of the slaves were in their own area. So they were able to escape uh, mm-hmm. more easily because they were designated into a separate area. Okay. So um, they were able to escape, but not, a lot of the women were not able to escape. Huh. And, uh, but it was actual, it was mostly women who I believe were saved and by Dr. McCall and, you know, by being able to lift people out, um, you know, out of the building and down from the second floor down to the first floor to Gilbert Hunt. Sure. Um, and I guess does the it, may, it seems like a lot of the um, the the um, congregation moved. Is it or is it true? I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm just mumbling now. But uh, does the do do a lot of them not move to St. Paul's? Yes, and, they and do. They, the, as the population grew in different areas of the city, mm-hmm. people moved to St. Paul's and then west. But to are they not officially connected somehow? Yes, they, they are. So they yeah, are so connected, and you know, it just. And this typically happens with churches as the population, areas of population change, mm-hmm. um, you know, churches move. And I guess, I, I don't know, same, I know it's there in the Civil War, St. Paul's. Yes. I mean, so, uh, do you have any idea when that was built? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yes. Um, it's, I guess that's St. St. James is much later. It's the 20th century. Okay. So, um, but the, I mean, it seems at that point, about the Civil War, um, you know, which is only going to be you know fifty years later. Uh, you know, Jefferson Davis is going to be at um, you know, which is farther from his house, mm-hmm. right? He's walking past Monumental Church right. to a different Episcopal mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, is it falling out of favor at that point, or yes, okay, and, right. and, and, and unusual that you mentioned his home, which it was also known as the Broken Brawl Home, mm-hmm. um, the, the White House of the Confederacy, was also designed by Robert Mills. Right. Right. So he, he actually designed when he was here in between several several dwelling houses. Okay. And um, I don't know where he was located, but um, research is being done by some of Charles Brownell's um, students mm-hmm. on the design of some of the buildings that he did on West Franklin Street, for example. Okay. And, and there, I mean, just right, I mean, even the White House, I mean, is not... Um it's not very cutting edge, mm-hmm. as far. I mean, I mean, I'll let you correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, but I, I mean, you know, as far as like what you're saying, like with the monumental church, I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like every aspect of it is some sort of very unique, you know, thing to that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you got to make your money, right? You just design regular houses as well. <laughs> well, it's it's far from regular, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real nice house, but it, you know, I, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, but it doesn't seem as cutting edge, right? It's a little a little bit more sedate. Yeah. Um, you know, John Brockenborough is absolutely a pretty wealthy guy mm-hmm. and can afford a nice house. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know. The design of buildings were highly influenced by their occupants. And right. So. 
Sure. Um, the, so this uh, was more designed by committee, and then once the, you know, once the uh, commission was delivered to Robert Mills, it was entirely his design. Sure. Without one individual dictating, for example, how it should look. Mm-hmm. And um, so the and we kind of we kind of talked about it a little bit. Of, you know, it's it, you know it's continually falling out of favor there um, um, by. Sixty-five, you said it was. Sixty-five. It had less than thirty congregants, mm-hmm. and so it was decided to close the church, and they deconsecrated it by ni- nineteen ninety-six. Sure. Excuse me, nineteen sixty-six. It was de- deconsecrated, and that was when nineteen sixty-six is when the MCV, the Medical College of Virginia Foundation, acquired it. And and can people get in there? I mean, At that time, or yes, they now? were able to. Actually, they used it as a chapel. Oh, they did. Okay, for, for a time. And the and um, the once it got closed, I mean, it was renovated. Can people go in now? I mean, is there are, is it open for hours now? It's open by appointment. Okay. Um, and we also use it for events specifically. Um, most popular is weddings. Uh, okay. So we so and so we've been undertaking a restoration in the last several years to retort, restore the entire exterior of the building. Uh-huh. The building is. Um, is constructed of a quiet stone, ashlar cut, and it has a stucco finish on top. And what and is that? What is stone? It's a stone. It's actually multi. If if you've seen any photographs of monumental church prior to the restoration, in the mm-hmm. last you know in the last eight years, yeah, you'll see the the stone is is very distinctive because it's striated. Right. And you'll see that, but the building was meant to be. White or off-white. It's it's the same stone that's in the White House, and this White House has a stucco finish to unify the surface to an all-white look. Okay. So it has a stucco finish on top of the stone, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then it had the wooden dome. Right. And it had it, which was a wood shingled dome until the mid nineteenth century when it was replaced with metal. It has a copper dome now. Okay, um, and the. Because I was actually was there's some national uh, or the um, Library of Congress photos that I was looking at last night as well that have um, and it's pretty interesting. I, I was actually thought it was just a weird photo that had this, that, where the stone looked like that. Yes, and, and, um, and if you look at older photos and many of those buildings, not just Monumental Church, are entirely covered with ivy, uh-huh. and, and, and not because they were abandoned, but that was that was the style for. Quote, antique buildings. Sure. A number of the buildings in Court Inn, if you look at the older photographs, are entirely encased in ivy with the windows cut out. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, um, it makes it look older. Yeah. But right, uh, it, was, uh, it was actually when Historic Richmond Foundation acquired it, which is now Historic Richmond, mm-hmm. um, acquired it. Um, we undertook a $3.5 million restoration, 1.6 of which was on the exterior of the building. Okay. And um, it was decided, actually, when the MCV Foundation um, had it to return the building to its 1814 appearance because that was its period of significance, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> being that it was one of the most outstanding Greek revival buildings in America. Sure. And but it had evolved and changed throughout um, the Victorian, the mid nineteenth century into the early twentieth century. Mm-hmm. It had additions. It had a Sunday school addition attached to it, one of the first Sunday schools. 
Um, it had um, huh, like stained a, like glass. A, like a separate building? Yeah, it was attached to the building. It was on the east side of the building. Huh. Um, it had, in the 1840s, John Updike, who was the designer of um, the architect for Trinity Church in New York, um, well known for his Gothic revival designs, all significantly altered the interior with the addition of uh, many more pews and additions to the altar. And then in the 1870s, there were additional changes all the way up to 1901. There were, there were art glass windows and later stained glass windows replaced all of the clear multicolored early windows in the building. Um, and it had uh, a painting um, by then, by the time the MCB Foundation acquired it, uh, it had wall-to-wall carpeting, it had uh, gasoliers that had been electrified, mm-hmm. uh, it had many more pews that had been installed in the building and um, closed it in, the floor space in, an additional altar space yeah. and railing that had been installed, um, of course the stained glass windows, um, and they decided to do the restoration in 1975, I believe it was, when they hired Bob Winthrop, Robert Winthrop. Uh, to return it back. That was when the stained glass windows were removed and mm-hmm. windows of the period were placed in there. Um, and those stained glass windows went to the two sister churches, which was St. Paul's and St. James. Huh, okay. So those windows live there now. <laughs> nice. And um, that's not some of the ones in the, in the like sanctuary of St. Paul's, is it? Although I do that's know a- that the... When uh, I'm not sure exactly the date, but the steeple at St. James uh-huh. and it burned. They utilized one of the windows that was given to them from you know in the reconstruction. Interesting, so, interesting. Which you, so you can see it there. But it, I mean, a lot of people were concerned at the time with the removal of those windows. But also there were there was a painting in the apse. There was the dome had um, canvases that were painted. Uh, so it was highly uh, there, uh, highly decorated in the Victorian and early 20th century era. So it has been returned back to a more serene, um, uh, strict uh, appearance of the early Greek revival era. So it's a kind of a dramatic change to what it, it had evolved right. through all that time period, mm-hmm. and uh, including the exterior, which now has the stucco finish and um, the dome on it. Yeah. Um, it seems, it seems uh, must have been an amazing area, just with the, that, the capital. It was, yeah. um, you know, Robert Mills, I guess, designed mm-hmm. the, the old city hall mm-hmm. as well, the dome, and just, I don't know, all those houses. And, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pretty enchanting to it, enchanting is the right word for it uh, <laughs> but, oh, oh and um, you know one of the most important things that um, historic uh, Richmond did was there was an accident in which the urn the memorial urn fell and broke oh, no. and so it was uh, decided that since it could not be reconstructed to replicate that so that was replicated and so the the urn um, that you see there in the uh, monument out front is a replication in which historic Richmond um, undertook to to say that. 
And okay. the, the original is um, salvaged and preserved, mm -hmm. uh, but it can't. It was apparently due to pollutants in the marble, okay. contributing to the deterioration, and then it fell uh -huh. and, and uh, you know broke, so that it had to be reconstructed. Yeah. So that oh. was one of that was a major. Um, preservation effort by Historic Richmond to, to do that as well because that was so significant to the design of the building. Sure. Um, well, I think, um, unless you got something else awesome, we've kind of talked for a while. Well, it's this year we're celebrating the 200th anniversary of mm -hmm. the church. Uh, it was completed uh, in 1814, so we're celebrating it this October, and uh, we're inviting the community to come and celebrate with us. And um, it's a, uh, it was uh, an urban uh, design legend for its time. We want to remind people of how it influenced the design of Court Inn, but also influenced buildings across the United States mm -hmm. at the time. That it's a it's a groundbreaking building, and we want to see it continuing to live another life into the future. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much, Leslie Naranjo. Thank you, Historic Richmond. And thank you for listening. Uh, remember, let me know what you think of this episode. You can contact me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, at History Replays. You can also check out you know, Pinterest, Tumblr. There's a lot of ways to contact me. Also, Jeff Major at HistoryReplaysToday.org. Again, that's J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R at HistoryReplaysToday.org. You know, and let me know if you you know have any ideas for the show, whether you want to, you know, suggestions for guests, topics, and if you've listened this far, you must not have hated it. So you know, go ahead and re you know write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever it'll help me out. Um, but you know, more importantly, go tell your mom, tell your children, uh, tell everyone you know that they should subscribe to History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast, and make it a great day. <laughs>